Welcome to The Marcus Warren Show, powered by 960 Digital and the Wealth Empowerment Network. Now, here is your host, Marcus Warren. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the number one retirement and tax planning show in the region, The Marcus Warren Show. I am your host, financial advisor, tax and road agent, and author of the Retirement and Tax Playbooks, Marcus Warren, and I hope everyone is doing well on this Sunday. And to my left, I am joined by our resident tax professional, D. How you doing, D? Hello, and happy Sunday. And remember that if you miss any parts of the show and you want to catch up on anything that you missed, all you have to do is subscribe to the Marcus Warren Show podcast via Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Also, throughout the show, we will be offering our retirement rescue game plan. What is that, you ask? Well, that is a physical packet of information that will help rescue your retirement from all the risk that threatens your nest egg once you are close and in retirement. Now, in that game plan, you're going to get a copy of my two books, a few different financial reports, and access to my webinar entitled Taxes in Retirement. And you can simply order that by going to warrenwealth.net. You go to the site, put in your information, and that Retirement Rescue Game Plan will be delivered free of charge via USPS to your front door. Once again, go to warrenwealth.net, warrenwealth.net, and get that Retirement Rescue game plan. So um, a, um, <clears throat> a lot has uh, transpired over the last week or so in regards to the market. Um, and as I was on my Google machine this morning looking up some, some uh, items and things of that nature, I stumbled ap- across a video of a uh, lady um, who said she was uh, 41 years old mm-hmm. and uh, she retired early. Oh, nice. And I was like, nice, nice. And then dug a little deeper and she said that she's 41 or it had that she was 41 and she retired with um, $900,000, okay. which I mean, you know, a lot of people hear $900,000 and they think that, wow, that is a, uh, that's a pretty nice chunk of change. Um, but what I say, I take a little different approach because I think that, hey, that is, it's a nice chunk of change. Um but not when you're retiring at 41. By the way, she's retiring in Nashville. So a lot of stuff to do out in Nashville. And so as I was going through it, um, number one, she did the, um, what is it called? FIRE. Yes, FIRE. Which is? Financial independence, retire early. Yes. So she followed that program. Yes. And so I dug in a little deeper because I had to dig in deeper. And so she made, she was making about $150,000 a year. Okay. Um, I forgot what she did, but uh, she was some sort of, I think she was in healthcare. Okay. And so she followed the fire uh, way, budget, mm-hmm. checklist, whatever, yeah. meaning that, don't you go frugal or get like... you? Yes. Yeah. You cut, like, cut your expenses. Um, I'm not sure if you're supposed to have your debts paid off. I'm assuming you go into it after you've got your mortgage and credit card and car and all that stuff paid off. Yeah. And... Um, she so the the general rule of thumb because she said that she um like uh, graduated from fire a little early she didn't wait because uh, she looked at her budget and didn't wait until i guess you're supposed to have fire the the rule of thumb that i saw was 25 times of what you need to live on mm-hmm. so i did a little math okay and i thought all right and actually i said 9 i said 900,000 it was 850,000 okay and so I did uh, 850000 We're going to divide that by 25. We're going backwards. So that's so basically what she's saying is, you know what? I used to make $150,000 a year. Now all I need to do is make $34,000 a year. Okay. That's 25 times yes. $850,000. Yes. That is insane to me. Hmm. And she has two kids, by the way. I don't know oh. how she's going to do it. So, um, uh, so, you know, first of all, you know, maybe she, um, you know, she really did pair back those expenses to just be not by moving to Nashville. She didn't or living in Nashville. Right. I I would just think the cost of living. And then by the way, are you really retired? When people say retirement, Mm -hmm. you know, especially at 41, are you really retired when she said she still will do some, some work and she'll do some speaking engagements and promote fire. And then, you know, she'll have a side hustle and, okay. 
She has a store and sells stuff on Etsy. Okay. Um, I mean, and okay. if you're, I mean, I guess you're, just because you don't, I guess retirement, does retirement mean that you just don't have a boss anymore? I mean, yeah. is that? Yeah, yeah. right? I don't know. I mean, it's just, just was, it was interesting to me. But let's uh, rewind this a little bit because the headline also said, or not the headline, but the story said that, by the way, she retired in May of 2021. Okay. And she talked about her, uh, her investments. Oh, okay. And so she had um, $850,000, half of it. Was in the S and P five hundred. Okay, and she touted that as, and she explained it, which is uh, the S and P five hundred are the biggest five hundred companies in the U S. Yes, right? mm-hmm. and uh, so she put fifty percent of her money is there. Okay, the other, uh, the majority of uh, the rest of the money, the other fifty percent is in the just. The rest of the stock market, the Russell 2000. So you have, and most people don't know about that one, but that's just basically, that's 2000 companies, Companies. Mm -hmm. right? So she has 500 biggest, and there's probably some overlap with the Russell 2000 Mm because she has another 1500 companies in there. And then she said she has a few uh, REITs, real estate investment trust, and then some Apple stock, some Amazon stock and and things of that nature. So I decided to do a little research because we are in this current bear market. Do you know what I thought you were going to say when you said the other 50% of her money was going to be in Bitcoin in some sort of crypt? Good. Thank God. Good. Yes. Anyway, so, uh, but I still did a little math because I wanted to be like, all right, that's the issue. You've amassed a good amount of money, especially for being 41 years old. And you still want it in the stock market. I mean, people who retire at 60, 65, I still say you still need to have some growth assets. The issue is, is that, and then one of the pitfalls of retirement is the fact that you never know when you're on that descent down retirement mountain that I talk about, you never know what you're retiring into. There's something that's called sequence of return risk, meaning that uh, how you receive those returns, uh, it, it matters. And so what, I, what do I mean by that? I mean, if you retired, uh, if you retire and right out of the gate, the market just shoots up, then you're going to pretty much find yourself in a pretty good situation uh, moving forward all the way throughout retirement. For example, if you retired in 2009, the market went up for the last 10 years and you probably were sitting pretty versus if you retired back in 1999, you retired back 1999, the very next year, the market was down and actually it was down three straight years. So you probably have some decisions to make about either uh, retiring with less or going back to work. But you really don't have no control over that because it's just pure happenstance how the market works. And this lady retired in 2021. And here we are in this bear market about a year later. And so I did the math and, um, you know, she's not fully down the full 20 plus percent, but, you know, she's down about, about 17, 18%. Okay. Or about $160,000. And that's a lot of money. Yep. And um, especially when you're retired. If she were still working, making that 150, contributing to her um, company retirement plans, she'd be fine. She'd just be basically buying into a down market. That'd be fantastic. But instead, she is pulling money out, I suppose. And I even I haven't even gotten to some of these other questions that I have about her being retired at 41. Um, and so she went from 150, right, mm-hmm. making, and now she's doing that 25 times, so she's making about 34000 a year. Okay. That's what she's supposedly supposed to be pulling out. Okay. The market's down about 18 17%, so now if you try to adjust that, so now she's probably taking out about $28,000 if she's trying to stay at that same level. Not sure how you do that with your couple of kids living in Nashville, but mm. uh, maybe she's, she's, that she's making That Etsy shop work. must be that, booming. That's right. I mean, are these speaking engagements? I don't know. You just never know. Um but that's just not it. So say say she didn't retire during this bear market. I still have questions just in, in, in regards to, um, uh, you know, one is, you know, how much money does, does she have now? If we did the math, she'd be down to about $160,000. But then, more importantly, where is the money saved? Because mm-hmm. we talk about the buckets. Yes. Taxable, tax-deferred, tax-free. I'm assuming because she worked and cut back on expenses and made 150 that she was contributing to a tax deferred account, IRA, 
401k, 403b. That money's never been taxed yet, right? And it's taxed when you start to pull that money out. And so if she's starting to live on that money, she's going to have to pay taxes. But Mm -hmm. she's also under 59 and a half. And when you have an IRA, a 401k, you're also going to be assessed that 10% penalty. And so um, hopefully she's sticking to those guns of, of taking out that 34000 because you take that minus a standard deduction of 12000 then you got your taxable income, and maybe she gets the, uh, the earned income credit or something now because right. she has two kids. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so maybe that doesn't affect her. But you still have to pay that 10% penalty, so you're depleting your nest egg quicker, right? And then there's health care. She has two kids, like I said. What is she doing about health care? Like, look, so the bottom line is this. Retiring early in this fire stuff sounds fantastic. Yes. You know, but there are a lot of questions that still need to be answered and a lot of things that I don't think that people think about. Because there's always, in life and everything, there's always the concept, the conceptual aspect of living on an island for the rest of your life. That sounds fantastic. Great weather, beach, uh, sun, but then you actually go there and you spend six months there and then you start to realize, oh, wow, this isn't all that is cracked up to be. You know, the sand's always in my toes and in the house and uh, I, I can't just drive anywhere. This island's fairly small. So, you know, I'd like to uh, do something a little more metropolitan, but you can't because now you got to get on the flight just to get to the mainland, whatever that may be. But there's always the conception of something and then there's the reality of the situation. And the concept of retiring early sounds fantastic, right? Everybody would want to. But dependently, you need to make sure, well, number one, that you have a lot more money than she retired with. Because, um, you know, if I hit the, uh, the Powerball and had and won, you know, $250 million or $500 million, eh, it'd be a different story. I probably could retire. Probably. And be fine. Uh, right? Uh, probably. Right. But, uh but anyway, I mean, it's just it's just one of those things where you have to make sure you have a plan. You have to make sure that you run the numbers. You have to make sure that you think about not just I have this nest egg and I'm just going to pick from it, but you have to think about taxes, uh, health care, um, uh, the, the stock market risk. You know, interest rates are starting to go back up. You know, hopefully she did retire with zero debt. But those are all the things you have to think about when you retire at 65 or 70, much less at 41. But anyway, I just thought that was uh, you know, pretty interesting, you know, in regards to uh, um, you know, this lady in Nashville who decided to retire with uh, 41. 41. She so, might be going back to work at 45. Oh, she's probably already back to work. Anyway, coming up next, we are going to uh, jump into uh, the mailbag and answer your emails. You are listening to the Marcus Warren show. Right. Got a little Barry Manilow going this morning. Her name was Lola. She was a <laughs> girl So, this is, of course, Barry Manilow. Mm-hmm. This is Copacabana. This reminds me, um, this song came out in 1978. Okay. <clears throat> um, but, um, when I was. In my 20s, mm-hmm. I went to a, uh, a establishment, a dancing establishment. The disco? And, and they were, well, no, there were the discos when no, I was way too oh. young for the disco oh. age. But um, they had like a disco night, though. And this okay. is one of the songs that, that they played. And I just remember being on the dance floor dancing to this song. Um, and this is when I really was like, well, this song is fantastic. Um, <laughs> but I really love the song. Doing the cha-cha or whatever the dance was. Back then, anyway. I really liked it when I was young. I learned all the lyrics. Like, I'm singing yeah. them in my head right now. Yeah. I think this is a, um, well, number one, it's came out in 1978. It was number eight in the U.S., 22 in the U.K. Okay. It's one of those things that, you know, one of his biggest hits. Like, yeah. it's, it's, it's has just stayed with us. Yeah. You know, uh, more so than Mandy. Oh, and it was his uh, birthday when? Friday. Friday. Mm-hmm. There you go. All right. Welcome back to the show, The Marcus Warren Show. Um, and, uh, I feel like I need a, uh, 
pina colada while listening to the Copacabana, if you know what I mean. If you know what I mean. Anyway, like I promised, we are going to uh, jump into uh, some emails. We haven't done this in a while, but let's uh, oh, wow. open the mailbag. Yes, it's email, email time. Time to check the mail. Alrighty, let's get started. First email is from Joanne. She's in Louisville. She says, I'm planning on retiring at the end of this year, but now I'm nervous. Yeah, me too. Uh, with everything going on in our country and the crazy stock market, should I just put my retirement savings in cash? Okay, Joanne, um, that is probably not a good idea. Um, I generally don't recommend uh, that people cash out in a down market, you're basically locking in those gains. Um, and really, the, the only time, you know, when, when there's a down market, the only time you should really take money out is if you absolutely need it to live on. Um, you know, other than that, uh, we know that eventually these things, uh, bear markets uh, tend to uh, turn into upward moving market eventually. And, you know, it, it really depends on uh, your uh, financial situation. So, you know, the, the way that we set up um, our clients' retire, <coughs> excuse me, retirement savings here is the money that someone needs within that first, that first, uh, those first few years out of retirement. So years one, one to three we make sure that that's not really even even in the stock market at risk where it can go down. Because I talked about sequence of return risk in the last segment. And you never know when you, when you need the money if you're going to be pulling out of a down market. And if you do, it can be detrimental. So how can you mitigate against that? There's money that you need short term. You have it in more cash-based fixed income investments that aren't going to fluctuate as much as the market does. So... To answer your question, the answer is no, you should not just put all of your retirement savings in cash. You would be locking in those losses. And Joanne, you're supposed to uh, buy low and sell high. And the problem with that, too, is, you know, it's one of those things. The concept, the, the, the concept is that's what you're supposed to do. But the reality of the situation is most people, they do not. They tend to do the opposite. And that is simply because they get into their emotions. Uh, there's two emotions that drive the market. We talk about it all, all the time here on the show. It's fear and greed. <clears throat> and when people are fearful is when you should be greedy. The market is at a discount right now. And it may be a good buying opportunity for a lot of people out there. So, Joanne, um, hold tight, at, at, at least for now, um, you know, unless, just like I said, I don't know your, your, your specific situation, but if you don't need the money to live on absolutely right now, then <clears throat> I would just uh, hold tight. All I right. think these last few years have really shown um, just how short-term mem our memories are and how... How fickle investors are. Absolutely. Um, and we have this recency bias and, and this, this short-term memory. So 2020, March... COVID. Uh, it was scary. It was new. I know you got a lot of uh, uh, comments saying that, hey, this has never happened before. It's never been like this before. And, it, and the market recovered in like two days. Yep. <laughs> it was a, it was a, v, a V-shaped recovery. Yep. It was recovered really fast. Now again, you know, and then 2021, we had the boom. And now again, market's going down. This time is different. Inflation's high. Everything's going down. What do we do now? Yep. And it's everybody just forgets. Yeah, I, I almost got uh, baited into a, um, I'm not on Facebook, but a, but an email back and forth where I sent out a communication to uh, the people that I talked to, some clients, uh, some prospective clients or whatever. And then I get a response back from a gentleman who is basically, um, he thinks it's, this time it's different. There's yeah. famine in, in Africa food shortage, supply chain issues, horrible administration, inflation, and it is, it's doom and gloom, it's Armageddon, take your money out, put it in your backyard, bury it in your backyard, and my, and, and by the way, I shortened up, his response was like, uh, it, it was a manifesto, basically, okay. he emailed me back at his, <laughs> his uh, investment, his, his financial, um, um, economic, political manifesto, Okay, and <clears throat> So I took the bait and normally I wouldn't have responded back, but I responded back and I just, you know, told him, I just gave a, a, a two, two or three sentences basically saying, look, 
history has shown us that uh, the U.S. economy and uh, America is pretty resilient. We always bounce back, um, regardless of its inflation, high inflation like we had in the 70s and in the, in the 80s, uh, whether it's high gas prices, whether it's war, whether it's whatever it is, things tend to turn around, right? And that was it. Pretty much short and sweet and pithy, pithy, really quick. Then, of course, he went, he waited a couple of days and got back with me with, by the way, another. It wasn't uh, quite the, the long manifesto. It was uh, a shortened manifesto that, <clears throat> you know, was still about, you know, four or five pages, whatever it was. But um, <laughs> but then I just stopped because this is, you know, someone I don't want to go back and forth and try to convince him. But like I said, eventually we'll, these things will turn around. I don't think it's a time to, you know, take all your money out and put it in your mattress or in the backyard. But let's get to the next email, please. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of inflation, uh, Ronnie from New Albany, I like this question. He says, I just spent over $100 to fill up my tank, and I don't remember ever spending that much for gas. <laughs> That's a lot. Uh, why is inflation so crazy right now, and is there an end in sight? I'll tell you what, uh, Ronnie, if I had my crystal ball, I would be able to tell you if there's an end in sight. Oh, um, <clears throat> you know, I do know that, you know, the, the current administration, they're, 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 they're trying to do something about inflation. Who knows if they're going to be successful or not? Um, yeah, um, you know, this, there, there's been this just perfect storm of, you know, the pandemic that we had, the supply chain issues, the stimulus uh, uh, money that, that, that flowed into the pockets of Americans that increased demand for everything uh, when there was limited supply. So prices went up and the war in Ukraine, there's all these things that have contributed to uh, these, these, um, this high inflation. And, um, you know, generally speaking, you know, we have this high inflation, we have this uh, bear market that we're in, which pretty much spells, um, you know, recessionary times. And, um, Generally, when we have a bear market, high inflation, things of that nature doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be a recession. But this time, um, you know, I think, you know, we're probably due uh, some sort of pullback, uh, some sort of recession. Hopefully it's not a long, drawn out recession. Uh, but Ronnie, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm hoping that these gas prices go down. It, it cost me one hundred and three dollars to fill up my tank the other day. And I was not happy about it, but uh you know, people are going to have to, you know, tighten their belts for, for the time being, um, and it hurts. And, and we're just going to have to make sure that, uh, um, you know, things, things change. And, you know, hopefully there is light at the end of the tunnel. Does inflation correct itself on its own? I mean, I know we've got the Federal Reserve tr increasing interest rates to try to uh, slow down the economy to reduce inflation. But if, if, you know, you're thinking about spending all this money on, on gas, people might cut back on how much driving they're doing, which ends up cutting back on uh, how much spending they're doing. And so that kind of maybe maybe takes longer. Maybe that's a, a longer term yeah. way to. Yeah. If, if I mean, there, there are always proponents of just, you know, just let's just, uh, you know, let it uh, sort itself out. But generally speaking, especially when, when we have inflation this high at 40 year highs, yeah. you know, the Fed is going to jump in. And then it's just one of those things where. You know, there's it's always this balancing act. So, you know, when uh, interest not interest rates, when the market, when the tech bubble burst back in 2000, 2001, 2002, um, the solution was to basically let's let's drop interest rates, and they drop, drop, drop interest rates almost pretty much to zero, which uh, turned things around. But then. Uh, the unintended consequences or the collateral damage, which you don't realize in the time was zero interest rates uh, and the housing boom, you know, that ended up turning into a big bust. So people yeah. were able to get loans and money was free and um, everybody was buying getting these mortgages and so forth or so on, you know, all the way through, you know, 2002, three, four, five, six, seven. And then of course, the big financial collapse when the credit markets pretty much that bubble burst and it was because of that. And so then we pump in this money for the stimulus. And so the Fed is always trying to balance things out. And so, yes, they are going to raise interest rates. They said they're going to be fairly aggressive with raising interest rates that frighten some people. Um, but 
you know, we'll have to see, you know, how, how it plays out. I know my brother in, in, in real estate, I think the real estate, speaking of real estate, I think the real estate market is going to um, really suffer because mm-hmm. these uh, 3% loans that the people were getting, what, six months ago, six to yeah. nine, nine months ago mm-hmm. are now 6%. Um, and, you know, I think we're going to see the, the housing market. We're going to see a lot of things just ebb and flow. You know, you had these hot markets, these down markets, these down sectors we're going to see as the Fed starts raising interest rates, um, you know, people who have this consumer debt, you know, that's not going to be so, uh, so it's not going to be so great. But then on the other end, when, as these interest rates start to pop up, you're going to find yourself able to get better rates on CDs, better mm-hmm. rates on bonds, better rates on safe money. Yeah. So we'll have to see how it plays out. Um, we do not have another time for another email. So... I guess coming up next, we're going to have these uh, tax corner. All right. You are listening to The Marcus Warren Show. Nice guitar riff here. I don't know if it's a riff, but it's guitar playing. <laughs> Gallagher Brothers. Today is gonna be the day that they're gonna throw it back to you. So this is um By now you should have so Oasis. What you gotta do. It was uh um, were their names Noel and uh, Liam Gallagher okay. brothers. Okay. I don't think they're estranged brothers, maybe. Anyway. This is Wonderwall. Came out in nineteen ninety five. Okay. Number eight in the U.S., number two in the U.K. Okay. Do they sound like they're from the U.K.? They do don't. You? Isn't that the, odd? When, when uh, they sing. Yeah, yeah British singers. British. Yeah. Mm, Adele. That's right. How, how, you wouldn't know. No, you wouldn't. Wouldn't know. Harry Styles. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of them. A lot of them. Mm-mm. Anyway. Welcome back to the show. The Marcus Warren Show. Remember... That you can request your retirement rescue game plan. All you have to do is go to warrenwealth.net and that retirement rescue game plan. You know what it's going to do? It's going to help you rescue your retirement from all the risk that threatens your nest egg. We're talking about market risk, inflation risk, and most importantly, tax rate risk. You got to protect your hard-earned money from the IRS. Once again, all you have to do is go to warrenwealth.net. By the way, that retirement rescue game plan is also going to help you rescue your retirement from hopefully all this volatility and we have a safe money plan or retirement recovery plan these days because your 401ks or may, might be 201ks before you know it and so you have to make sure that you're protected go to warrenwealth.net all right time to get into tax corner <laughs> Cause I'm the tax man. Yeah, I'm the tax man. Or woman. Do you know who you can tell is British? Who? Whoever just sings that, whoever sings that part. Oh, uh, yeah, tax that's the Beatles man. right there. Oh, it was the Beatles. Yeah. Oh, okay, I knew that. Paul McCartney. All right, let's. Yes, Paul McCartney. McCartney. He's British. Yep, so is Harry Potter. Okay. There you go. It's a fictional character. Yeah. All right, let's talk about crypto. Specifically, crypto taxes. What? Ooh. Yes, your Bitcoin. I know you all, all your listeners out there probably own some Bitcoin. And your Ethereum, your Doge, mm-hmm. your all those other cryptocurrencies, they are taxable. That's right. Uh, people might refer to them as virtual currencies, but the IRS says, nope, we consider them property for tax purposes. They're taxed the same way. Like other assets you own, stocks, ETFs, gold. Yeah. And of course, 2021 was a big year for crypto. Many new investors buying it for the first time. More than half of the current yeah. Bitcoin investors began investing in the last 12 months. And so because of growing yeah. number of investors and the lack of regulation, uh, the a recent infrastructure bill passed by the Biden administration introduced some new legislation for crypto investors. The new law requires cryptocurrency exchanges to issue a 1099B form, just like all other brokerages have to 
Yeah. Fidelities, the TDs, the Schwabs have to issue those. In other words, crypto exchanges are not going to notify the IRS when you buy and sell crypto. That's right. They will. And this will, of course, mm. in turn, create some tax reporting challenges for crypto investors. That's because although cryptocurrency is considered property, it doesn't work exactly the same way as your, say, Amazon or Apple stock does. So let's talk about some of the yeah. ways that cryptocurrency might be taxed. You're looking confused. And the reason I say that is because you can't... It, well, it, it depends on how you receive it, right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So if we uh, are talking about just purchasing a crypto coin, however you do that, however you set, I don't know how you set up that exchange, that wallet on Coinbase or wherever, <laughs> you, you purchase your Bitcoin uh-huh. and say you purchase it for womp, 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 20,000 right, right around there right now. Yeah. But if you got it back, uh, like, like you said, most people got it back in 2021 when it was probably close to 50 or 60,000. That's right. Yes. <laughs> purchase it for 50, uh, wait it out a little bit, drops down to 20. If you sell it, of course, just like if you had Amazon stock or Apple mm. stock, then you have a loss, right? You bought it for 50, now it's 20. That's a $30,000 loss. Ouch. Yep. But if you don't sell it, if you hold on to it, then you're not realizing the loss yet. You just wait it out, wait for it to drop even more. And then um, eventually at some point, I guess you do sell it. So that's one way that it's similar to uh, other capital assets. Yeah. Right? And, 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 and the key that you said right there is capital assets. And with that capital asset, you get the favorable, favorable capital gains treatment or that capital loss treatment where that huge loss that you take that you may be taking in Ethereum or Bitcoin now, you can write it off against any capital gains that you may have. Um, but keep that in mind. That is uh, the capital side yes. of cryptocurrencies. Yes. And depending on how long you hold it, if you, if you hold it for less than a year, capital gains are taxed, short-term capital gains are taxed at ordinary income rates. If you hold it for longer than a year, then sell it. Long-term capital gains are taxed at a little bit more favorable rates, at least for now, unless Biden's tax plan changes that, but they are taxed at uh, lower rates than ordinary income. Um, Now, another scenario, let's say Uh I bought that one Bitcoin last year in 2020, $60,000. Yes, that's how much I bought it for. And then I used it to buy a Tesla. I I bought my Tesla from that Bitcoin. And at the time that I I bought the Tesla, my Bitcoin was $65,000. So now... I've essentially sold that Bitcoin in order to purchase that Tesla. I, I bought the Bitcoin yes, for 60. Sense. It was valued at 65 when I used it to purchase my other property. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I realized a gain, and it's a taxable gain. Yep. But so, just like you said, though, if you had it for le- have it for less than a year, then it's, you're paying ordinary rates. But if you've had it longer than a year, then you're paying the more favorable capital gains rate. Yes. There you go. Now, the caveat with using cryptocurrency to buy other things is that if I bought my, if I um, buy my Bitcoin for 60 and then later I buy a pair of jeans worth, say I use a fraction of that, of that Bitcoin and buy a pair of jeans worth, say, 20 bucks. Well, not bucks, 20 bits. 20 Bitcoins, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, if the value of my Bitcoin has dropped from the time I purchased it to the time I buy my jeans, I cannot write off that loss if I use the Bitcoin to buy the jeans. Gotcha. So, so unlike, say, Amazon stock, if you buy it for 2000 and sell it for 1000 you have that loss. You write that loss off against other capital asset or other capital gains or even your ordinary income. Uh, with using cryptocurrency to purchase other products. This is going to be a mess because... It's a huge <clears throat> mess. Well, because because then there's, to me, the other caveat that you probably get to, and I'm probably stepping on it, is, but it's different for the person who then... So if you bought the Tesla from... So Tesla didn't go out there and buy a capital asset. They received income in the form of Bitcoin. Yes. The... Uh, department store that sold the jeans, they didn't receive that Bitcoin as a capital asset or an investment. They received it as income. Yes. And if I pay my lawn guy in Bitcoin, yes, that's a diff- totally different taxable situation. I don't, I don't know if you were going to get to that. Yes. But, okay. My if bad. you, if you, no, no, if, let's talk about it. If you 
receive cryptocurrency in exchange for a product or a service that you provide, then you are receiving income. That's considered business income. So if you pay your lawn guy in Bitcoin, he uh, he has to recognize that as income. And that's a totally different tax situation. It's ordinary income rates. And then the huge, huge caveat is I paid him mm-hmm. in 2021. Mm-hmm. He's a very expensive lawn guy. Yeah. And I paid him one Bitcoin, Mm $60,000, right? In Bitcoin. Yes. I paid him that. Yes. Now it's time to file his taxes for 2022. Yes. But that value of the Bitcoin now, say he filed that extension and he has it now, that Bitcoin is worth 20,000. Yes. He's going to have to report what? The $60,000 that it was worth at the time that you receive it in exchange for the product or service. That's huge. That is huge. (laughs) And not just that, when you receive it as business income, you've got the self-employment taxes that you're paying as well. So you're not just paying ordinary income rates. Depending on how your business is set up, you might be paying some FICA taxes too. That's right. So that's... um that's huge because you know the the way that you, uh, <clears throat> well, I mean it, it's it's really how our how our whole um, monetary structure is set up, which you know our our the way that our system is set up is it rewards capital versus labor. Yes, and even if we take crypto out of it, you know when you re, when you receive income, whether it's dollars for doing a job, you're taxed at your ordinary income rates versus having a dollar, uh, putting it in a capital asset such as real estate or um, some sort of stock. And then that money making money, you're taxed at those favorable, you know, capital gains rates, which basically says that the U.S. favors, you know, capital versus labor, Mm -hmm. although that's not the way that our our, our country was built. But it's it's really um, uh, can get uh, hairy when you attach this these cryptocurrencies, these um, digital assets um, to, you know, being paid in those digital assets because they're so volatile. So it's like, hey, you know, I was paying Bitcoin 60000 I got to claim 60000 on my income, but now it's just worth twenty. That is, it, it's just, it's just huge. Yes. It's, uh, it can be devastating. It can, especially for people who don't know that that's what happened. They don't know that they have to report what the value is at the time they receive it. Oh, remember all those athletes, all those athletes, but there yes. were a few athletes yes. who decided to take their money in Bitcoin. You, these early adopters, I yes. mean, especially in a fad or something that's just early, like even the internet, mm-hmm. pets.com. Yes. And, all these things that just went under, um, you know, it's the same thing with these cryptocurrencies right now. There's, I think that, you know, 90% of them here in the next, you know, two to five years aren't even going to be around. And so, you know, we've already seen, you know, NFTs and things of that nature, all the, you know, 99% of that has been, you know, fraud or, or stuff that just hasn't worked out. You just have to be going with eyes wide open, especially if you're receiving and have any kind of Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, things of that nature. If you if you're investing in that, if you're taking that as income, you have to know those tax implications. Thank you, D, for for that tax corner. Because I'm the tax man. Yeah, I'm the tax man. Or woman. All right, coming up next, we'll have news you can use and news you can't use. You're listening to The Marcus Warren Show. Oh, all right, here we go. We're staying staying across the pond. Okay. Well, Oasis. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yes. The UK. Uh, the UK. Mm-hmm. And now we have the Rolling Stones. With I Can't Get No Satisfaction. I'm across the pond. I gotcha. I gotcha. This song came out in uh, 1965. Number one in the US and UK. Right. Not bad. I like it. 
I think the song was butchered and remade by uh, Britney don't Spears. Don't say that. Wasn't it? Butchered. Yes, it was butchered. No. It was, I mean, it was, I don't believe. It's the first time I heard it. I don't was believe the Britney Spears her, version. Oh. Mm-hmm. And it was. Yeah, I loved uh, it. Oh. I loved it. Yeah, little. Love me some Britney. 10 year old girl thinking that that's good music yeah. and Britney butchered it. I mean, if I were the Rolling Stones, I would just have to sue and say, you, you've just ruined our song. No. But that's the way it is. Stop it. Anyway, welcome back to the Marcus Warren show. We are a all things financial show focuses on pre-retirement, retirement, uh, just basic personal finance. You know, I like to say that uh, anything that has to do with the dollar bill, we can help. That's what we do. Um, but this segment of the show is when we have, uh, well, we have a little fun. But first, we got to get to the good stuff. This is the news you can use. Well, as you mentioned before, U.S. mortgage rates have reached their highest level in more than 13 years. The latest sign uh, of the Federal Reserve's campaign to try to uh, cool down some of our inflation costs. The average rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage rose to 5.78%, according to Freddie Mac. The It's the highest level since November 2008, and it's well above... By the way, the 3%, like you said, at the end of last year, just last week, it was 5.23%. It's going up uh, exponentially. Um, The Fed, of course, has been raising its benchmark interest rate to try to curb inflation, cool the housing market and the broader economy. Uh, No one knows for sure what the impact of higher rates is going to be. But some investors, of course, think it's going to we're going to be going into a recession. Um, Mortgage rates don't move automatically when the Fed raises rates, but they're heavily influenced by it. Mortgage rates are tied to the 10 year uh, U.S. Treasury yield, which tends to move in tandem with expectations for what the Fed does with the benchmark rate. Um, and demand in housing has dropped pretty sharply yes. uh, the last couple of years. It has. Uh, demand in housing has uh, kind of skyrocketed. And, and now we're like like everything else, demand was up, supply was low, prices went up. Now uh, we're trying to reduce some of those prices back down. Um, Home buyers in May paid about $740 more per month to finance a medium priced U.S. home than they did in May of 2021. When rates were just three percent, you know it, it's it, it's weird because we we fall into this this lull, this sleep of just um, euphoria and utopia with um, you know mortgage rates being so low for so long, just like you said, and and the market being up for the last uh, you know thirteen, twelve, mm-hmm. thirteen years, and so. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who haven't experienced, uh, uh, these types of things, mainly like the millennials and things of that mm-hmm. nature. Um, and you know, when you think about it, um, you know, you go back to the seventies where, you know, rates, mortgage rates were, you know, in the mid 7% range, they bumped up to about 9%. Um, in the eighties, it was insane where, um, you know, interest rates were at, you know, 16%. Mm-hmm. Um, mortgage rates, you know, you're paying like 13, 14% on, uh, on your mortgage. And, you know, and it's funny too, because I, I remember people talking about the, the good old days. Yes. Marcus, I remember the good old days when I could get a CD at the bank for, they're paying 15%. Yes. And it's like, yeah, but inflation, number one, was like 15%. And your mortgage was, you know, 13, 12%. So everything was basically just even, like, but people don't remember that they just remember hey i used to put a hundred dollars in the bank and i used to get fifteen dollars every year off of that bad boy and uh you know and that's the way it is and then of course in the 90s stuff started coming back down but the average mortgage rate in 1990 was like 10 percent and you know it dropped down to about seven percent in in, in 1998 and then the 2000s it was between that five and eight percent range and then that's when stuff started going down and down and down, going into 2010s. And now that's when, uh, you know, rates were uh, sub 5%, 3% range. And here we back, here we are. Now we're back on that upwards slope. And uh, it seems like everything is a roller coaster. Everything is just, it, works. It, 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 it cycles back Cyclical. around and then there it you go. goes up and down and up and down. And we just deal with it as yeah. it comes. Got to, yeah, got to, you know, it's not... Um, what happens to you? Yes. It's how you react. Mm. Bam. I made that up myself, by the way. Okay. 
All right. <laughs> what Aristotle. else? Okay. Well, hey, why not? Let's talk about this. Uh, let's talk about crypto. It's not taxes, but specifically the crypto crash, crash that is continuing to spiral. One of the largest crypto lending platforms, I bet you've heard of this one, probably not. It's called Celsius Network. Yes. Unexpectedly told customers that it is pausing all withdrawals. So, so Celsius. Yes. So Celsius is, it's funny how crypto is like, hey, we're just, we're into uh, anonymity and anonymity and we're just not trusting people with, you know, that a bank's going to just have a, have our money and hold our money. Yes. We're into decentralization. Yes. This is the new frontier. Yes. And then you have the coin bases pop up. You have uh, the stable coins, which are pegged to the dollar. Yes. And then you have Celsius, yes. which basically is, you know what, a crypto bank, it a is. crypto bank. And so when you have the crypto cat, uh, crash, what happens is people are now making a run on the bank, basically saying, give me my money, give me my money. We need our money. By the way, Celsius, there's no FDIC for crypto, right? The, the C in FDIC does not stand for crypto. And so what Celsius had to do was say, okay, we're about to go under. So they have to pause all withdrawals because they can't afford to pay because the they don't have it 11.8 billion yes. with a b in customer assets that they hold so yeah. they pause you know what they are they're a bank it's, it, withdrawals it's the bank it's like the bank has the say chase bank trillions of dollars in assets right and, and customer deposits if everybody went at the same time and wanted their money they don't have that kind of cash they don't hold that they've loaned it out they don't have it and so you know they'll they'll have your two hundred fifty thousand dollars FDIC mm-hmm. insurance, mm-hmm. but they're not going to have the trillions of dollars that they have in customer deposits because they are making money off of your money. Yes. And it's the same thing with Celsius. That's why they had to put the pause. I'm not surprised. The other problem with the crypto banks is that they tout outrageous returns. Celsius said that they uh, were paying sold basically uh, annual percentage yields of eighteen point six percent on crypto assets or cryptocurrency deposits that they hold and then they're like wait a minute we can't afford to pay this out of course interest rates are not high enough for us to be able to pay 18.6 percent on an annual basis to customers they they, they were just trying to you know deal with uh, the upward movements until there aren't any more upwards movements leverage 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 bubble 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 burst now we got to put a pause on these things the one thing that i've learned is this is that everything, there's always the rage against the machine, yeah. right? There's mm-hmm. always, you have the establishment, you have the man, and then you have, you know what, we, we're going to be an alternative to the establishment, or we're going to be an alternative to the man, and then everybody jumps on that boat, but then eventually, you know what that small little startup becomes who was the disruptor to whatever industry, the established industry, the status quo, you know what they end up becoming after they continue to mm-hmm. grow and grow and grow? Yes. They become the man, yes. the established industry. And it's like crypto right now. Hey, we're, you know, decentralized, no banks, no whatever. You have Celsius. What do they become? A, a bank. bank. Yeah. And now. The sad thing, trying, the they're, sad they're, thing they're is reeling. that there, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of people who have put money, a lot of their savings into um, a lot of these uh, crypto banks, yeah, that's what they a get. lot of these crypto investments. That's ridiculous. And the reason that they're putting them in there is because they are hearing stuff like, oh, you'll pay you 18%. They're, they're hearing billionaires invest, you know, uh, Elon Musk investing in, in Dogecoin and saying Tesla accepts Bitcoin. And you're hearing huh. the Winklevoss twins. These are people with money, though. These are people who can, who can say, hey, I'm putting $200 million <laughs> investment in Bitcoin. But when you're worth... You know, a hundred trope, a hundred billion dollars. That that's like putting twenty dollars. The problem, in though, is that what is that? They're not just, and then this is going to be a little conspiracy. So Elon <laughs> Musk is being sued by a Dogecoin investor who lost money. He's the the lawsuits for. $258 billion, by the way. It's ridiculous. But um, he's saying that basically uh, Musk ran a pyramid scheme and uh, made it seem like Dogecoin was worth a lot more than it was, right. which caused people to want to invest more in it, yeah. increase the price. And then what do you do when the price increases? You pump and dump, you get yes. out yeah. while everybody else is still pooling in. Mm-hmm. It's the Musks and the yes. other billionaires who are getting out, the Winklevoss twins who are getting out when yeah. locking in those gains as everybody else is pooling money in. Happens all the time. And then it starts to drop yeah. and all these regular uh, people 
regular hardworking people holding the bag. And upholding. By the, the way, bag. that is not a conspiracy theory. You 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 see it all the time. There's stuff like that happens uh, a lot, and that's why um, you know there are people who 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 are upset with Musk, not just about Doge, but you know Twitter and a lot of things that he talks about um, is really. Um, violations of the SEC guidelines, yes. but because you're not supposed to be, you know, saying stuff like that, pumping and, and pumping stock up, things of that nature, or saying something bad and and dropping the price, so then you can get in. You know, you drop to say something, you drop the price of whatever you're trying to get into, and then you jump in, and then you say, oh no, it's not that bad, and then it goes back up. So there's a lot of manipulation out there. That's the way it is. But thank you, D, for that news. You can use. We're uh, kind of running out of time, but we got to give the people what they need. So we're going to do a real quick one story news you can't use. Let's get on my tangent. Okay. Uh, Netflix is staging a real life Squid Game series that is uh, billed as being the biggest reality competition ever. And now you're looking at me. So what confused. are they going to? Yes, because it was pretty. Squid Game was pretty violent. Is that Squid even? Squid Game was pretty violent. And for listeners who haven't watched the Netflix show, it was basically a fictional game show where contestants competed in challenges, and the winners uh, who made it would make it to the next round, while the losers would die. They would be shot right. and would be yes. killed. Right. So survival of the fittest. Sur- almost. almost literally, like a Hunger Games type. Literally thing. survival. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Life or death. So um, I'm presumably Netflix competition won't kill off a bunch of people. We'll see That's what that. I'm thinking. Who knows? Um, but the challenge will have 456 players competing in a series of games for a chance to win 4.56 million dollars. Okay. Okay. Not bad. I wonder what you're gonna have to do and. You know, probably, it's probably going to be a combination of, um, yeah, obstacle some, courses, some fear, mental fear skill. factor, like um, eat a, a rat mm, on covered woof. with maggots or something. I don't know. Oh, you know, okay. whatever they do. You woof. know, fear, remember Fear Factor? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They used to have to, you know, have spiders crawl on their face and all this stuff. Anyway, um, we'll have to see. Uh, I won't tune in, but I'm sure my kids will probably try to tune in. Thank you, D. For that news, you can't. Use. And by the way, by default, I will probably be watching that too because yes. I'll be in the room and I'll get mesmerized by what my kids are watching. And there you go. Anyway, you know what that music means. It means we've come to the end of the show. I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a great week and take it easy on this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Marcus Warren Show. For more information or to request your retirement toolkit, contact Marcus at 502-339-8255 or visit his website at talktomarcus.com. Warren Wealth Management and Tax Planning and WGTK are not affiliated. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendations to buy or sell any financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with a professional specializing in the fields of tax, legal, accounting, or investments regarding the applicability of this information for their situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested.